and welcome to another episode of Jumping Ahead. Uh, I'm your host, Colton, and uh, basically this is going to be a short little mini podcast where we talk about uh, some of my favorite arcs in Gintama that unfortunately we probably won't get to cover, um, you know, proper because uh, I'm planning on ending life lessons, you know, after we cover all the Viz stuff, and I don't think Viz is going to get some of these arcs in the manga anytime soon, unfortunately, but that's just me. I don't know, I'm hoping they'll prove me wrong one day, but um, it might be a long shot at this point. And, you know, I, I also figured I'd do this because um, my and my good friend John here, lied to him VG on Twitter, hey John, you know, he, he's been watching Gintama for the first time. And he just he, he just kind of happened to be getting to a lot of these arcs now, and I figured now would be as good a time as any to talk about them. Uh, so, John, uh, what are we talking about this episode? We're talking about Curtison of a Nation. Yeah, um, this is kind of a big one. <laughs> it's kind of a turning point in in the in the narrative of Gintama. This is I would consider this the beginning of the end because a lot of the a lot of the uh, things introduced in this arc. Are really going to come to a head in the uh, in stuff like I guess Shogun assassination and farewell Shinsugumi and whatnot. Uh, again, not to give too, too much away, I try to be as vague as possible for John here. So I guess um, did you have any expectations of the art going in, or I'm guessing you didn't really know too much about it really going in at all. I knew that people were saying that this was one of the best arcs in the series, period. And I don't like to get things hyped up for me because it feels like it ends up not as good as I was expecting. But with Curtison, I can definitely see where the hype comes from. And I only have a couple minor little gripes with it. But aside from that, it's probably my second favorite arc in the series so far. That's totally fair. Um, I think for a while I, I, total, I felt the same way because like... Because uh, it used to be for a while, and I I tentatively say that Benny Zakra is my favorite arc in the entire series because, like, it's one of those things where, like, Benny Zakra in particular, I mean, we'll, we're definitely going to be covering that arc on Life Lessons hopefully soon enough uh, after you listen to this. Uh, but um, Benny Zakra, for a long time, was my favorite arc of all time because, like... Because that that was the thing that like got me hooked into Gintama. That was the th- that was the arc that showed me that Gintama actually had a narrative. A- aside from the fact that actually Gintama's narrative, in a sense, was kind of being set up before then, and I just didn't catch it um, the first time I watched the anime or whatever. Um, Benny Zakra was like, "Oh my god, this is so different! Oh my god, Gintama can be serious! I love this arc." <laughs> um, kind of that superficial reasoning for why I like Benny Zakra. And I feel like that's kind of why I like Benny Zakra the more I think about it. But again, we'll we'll just have to see once I cover that arc on the show proper. But, you know, for a long time, there wasn't an arc that I really thought was as good as Benny Zakra personally. That's just my opinion. Whereas nowadays, I'm, I'm, I'm again, my resolve on that is shaking a little bit. Um, Cornicent of a Nation, I think for me personally, was the arc that because, like, at the time, like, because you got all this stuff that happens that we find out about certain characters that ends up leading Gin and the Odd Jobs to storm the Shogun's castle. That's kind of a big deal. <laughs> like, that that is something that is possibly, you know, that's, that's something that's possibly going to really, like, have a lot of impact on the series because... Obviously, if you go against the Shogun, you're probably going to get executed for it. 
and a lot of that kind of thing. So at the time, this Chorus of a Nation for me at the time was the arc that like got really close to overtaking Betty Zakra for me. Uh, for the longest time, I I shared the same sentiment that Chorus of a Nation is was basically my second favorite arc. Whereas nowadays, I'd say it probably would be at least and definitely still in my top five. I don't know if it'd be my second just because of everything that comes after that, but it's really good. And I, there are certain like moments and episodes that I used to watch for just on their own for like a long time because like I just love them so much. This was, this was again another arc that I watched week to week. And it was like I, at one point, uh, when the last episode of the arc aired, there was this one time where I couldn't sleep one night because it was the night before, um, before the last episode was going to air. So I was so excited that, um, <laughs> Like like two hours before, I started rewatching the entire arc in preparation for the last episode. So like I didn't get any sleep that night. <laughs> so uh, that was definitely uh, that was definitely a good memory of mine uh, that I had with Gintama. Um, but I guess enough about my gushing. Um, is there anything you really want to talk about, John? Well, I'd like to rename this arc from Curtis of a Nation to the arc where everyone's a fucking bro. Because that's, <laughs> that's what everyone is in this arc. I swear to God. The Shinsen Gumi, even the Mimiwari Gumi, and the fucking Shogun, who I thought was only going to be a joke character at this point. They're just all fucking bros. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even uh, even even Soyo's a bro, uh, Nobume's a bro, Kagura's <laughs> a bro. Um, everyone's a bro. Well, that's another thing I love about the arc was because the female characters got so much action and they actually helped Gintoki out of a tough situation, which is something that like never happens in this series or in most shonen as I'm led to believe. Essentially, yeah. Um, you're, you're lucky if in shonen manga that, uh, the female characters aren't completely sidelined for the, for like the entirety of a series, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, they'll have like one good moment and then, ah, uh, no, let's let the boys handle it because this is a boys magazine. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's a whole other thing. I'm looking at you, One Piece. I love One Piece, but One Piece does that shit way too much. Gintama kind of spoils me in that sense because the, like all of the female characters in the series, I think just if we're speaking in general, like throughout the entirety of the series are usually pretty good. I don't usually have a problem with any of the female characters. They're usually, they're written as like believable characters and they're not just there just to be the girl, you know what I mean? <laughs> um yeah. they're not they're not just there for like representation. Like no hey guys, remember females exist. Um and that whole thing, but uh, that's just that just goes into a lot of general things I like about Kintama in the first place. Let's let's go back to Cortison. So how did you feel about the beginning of the arc? Uh did did, did you find any any of the comedy funny? Yeah, I found the I found the comedy funny. It started off pretty innocently enough as a normal Gintama episode, but that's how most of the serious arcs seem to start. That if I wasn't told that it was a serious arc, I would have thought, oh, it's just business as usual. And it's no exception with this uh with the first episode of Curtison where this old lady who's practically on her deathbed is drug into uh, a room with Gintoki who thinks he's about to have sex with a beautiful young lady. <laughs> huh. I mean, I'm 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 glad that somebody's finally uh, rewarding Gin for all of his hard work during the Yoshiwara arc because he deserves it. He deserves to have a good time. Yeah. 
And honestly, I was expecting the woman to be old when he was like preparing all the stuff and getting uh, ready to do it with her. And I'm like, this isn't going to this isn't going to go well because it's Gintama. No, 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 nothing ever goes well in Gintama. Oh, boy. (laughs) I guess. How did you feel about how the story played out? Because like there's a lot of misdirection in this arc. You know, at first you're led to believe, oh, Suzeron's like biggest customer was the uh, the 12th Shogun himself, Sada Sada, who is kind of responsible for how the world of Gintama came to be at the beginning, which I thought was a great way to kind of connect it, connect everything back to the world building. And then we go from that to, oh, no, he uh, he was just using her to, like, basically kill off other Bakufu officials. And then, oh, Maizo was actually uh, Suzeron's lover or whatever. We get to find out more about him. How did you feel like all that played out? That was an excellent subversion, honestly. I wasn't... I, first, I was expecting the the, the Shogun Sada Sada really was in love with her and just couldn't be with her because, you know, he was a Shogun. And then we find out that he was just using her as a political pawn and that... Uh, uh, and then we're like, oh, well, she... She never really had any chances of having her promise fulfilled, but then we found out that it was a different guy who actually was in love with her. It was kind of a roller coaster, but I enjoyed it. It was uh, not what I expected in the least. Yeah, because I one of my favorite scenes in that arc is is when Squeo asks Sada Sada about Suzeron, and you know you get those uh, get that bit where like he looks like he has tears falling from his eyes and he gets sad and then you as you find out what's actually going on and how it like i like that too how um what's going on in the past and present are kind of like paralleling with each other i thought that was a really nice like how it just kept like flashing back and forth i thought was thought was really unsettling along with the music i thought the atmosphere in that scene in particular was handled really well uh, that and you know the reveal that Sada Sada is kind of a a, a creepy, uh, really creepy asshole. You know him drooling over Suzeron. I thought that reveal was amazing, honestly, because like it really just telegraphs how how much of a dick Sada Sada is going to be for the rest of the arc. And I think that just leads into why I, I like him as a villain is because you know a lot of people kind of give Sarachi flack for his villains always being too sympathetic or whatever, always. Uh, or whatnot, which I can kind of see the argument in that. And personally, I don't mind it, but I can see why people would get kind of tired of always having to feel sorry for the villain because they're supposed to be the villain. You're supposed to want to, like, typically you you want to see the villain just be the villain. And I feel like Sada Sada plays that role up so well because he's just such an irredeemable asshole. And I think that's what I love about him so much compared to other Gintama villains. Yeah, even the freaking Yoshiwara in Flames villain, he gets, like, this sad backstory in the end that doesn't completely justify his actions, but it still makes him, made him more to me than just a typical villain asshole. But here, we get Sada Sada, a complete dick with no redeemable qualities, who gets killed in the end. That's, that's the perfect villain to me. Yeah, Sada Sada's great, and, um, we were kind of talking about this off mic, but, uh, yeah, this this arc has uh has that one thing that uh, I was mentioning on the episode of Life Lessons you were on with me and Nada about how uh Sarachi will uh be giving exposition while a bunch of funny stuff's going on in the background and makes it kind of distracting cuz Sada Sada is explaining how the Mimawari Gumi is uh how he thinks the Mimawari Gumi were posted, 
you know, by his side to basically keep an eye on him because they basically suspect him of trying to take out the other Shogun faction, the Hitotsubashi, and how oh, the Mimawari Gumi and the Hitotsubashi are basically have a mutual relationship with each other, essentially. And then you just have Gin in the background doing all sorts of wacky things with, with, with Shige Shige and him trying to, uh, you know, pull him up by his underwear and all his underwear is ripping off. And oh, no, he has underwear on his head. Oh, no. Which, you know, typically I would find that kind of funny if it weren't for the fact that, oh, I'm trying to pay attention to exposition. Can, can you, like, go somewhere else? <laughs> Take your take your little fucking uh, comedy act somewhere else. I'm actually trying to pay attention to the story, which is not something I typically say to Gintama. But in this case, it was like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Did, did, did that bother you at all? Yeah, but it was mostly because I had to be reading subtitles. If it was like in English, I could probably pay attention to most at the same time. But while he was giving the exposition, uh, I just couldn't stop looking at Gintoki. Like, I feel like if I was reading just the subtitles or looking just at Gintoki, I'd be missing half of the scene. Again, that's a scene where I'm like, okay, do you want to watch this scene twice? Because there's some exposition here, and I know you're not going to pay attention to it the first time, so what do you want to do? <laughs> um, so that's kind of a minor gripe I have uh, with that bit in particular. But um, I guess uh, another thing is uh, we're reintroduced to uh, to characters such as, uh, you know, Isaburo and uh, Nobume from the Mimawari Gumi, who we talked about from the Thorny arc. This is basically their second introduction. And then um, we're reintroduced to Soyo. Um, I remember you kind of flipping out about that a little bit on Twitter. Yes, because it, it, I don't know, it, it, initially it just made me angry because, <laughs> because I'm, I'm watching this arc and then I see this character and I'm like, what the fuck? Wasn't she in like the first 10 episodes? And, uh, it, by the standards of the anime when it first aired, that would have been seven years ago. Se seven, a seven-year absence in the anime. Pretty much, yeah. And I don't know how long in the manga, but probably a little longer. De definitely hundreds and hundreds of chapters by this point. It's like, that's... God. Uh, and I had to, like, go, go back and make sure that, that was the character I thought she was, because her only appearance before this one was in a half episode in episode 14 <laughs> i know i was i was really shocked by that too because yeah soyo literally doesn't appear there's just an entire gap of like hundreds and hundreds of episodes where she's nowhere at least not as far as i remember i mean from from this arc on she'll she'll appear a little bit more which is good but yeah, that was really shocking the first time I watched this episode, too, was like, again, it's one of those things where Sirachi's like, okay, I'm going to introduce this thing just in case. And then it was just one of those things where it's like, oh, wait, I can use that thing. Ah, <laughs> I, I got, I, oh, Sirachi, you got yourself out of this one, just like you always do. <laughs> but, I, but I think, like, looking back, though, I think it makes sense because it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, like, you know, of course they're best friends. Like that was that was, you know, that was something that was established earlier on and hasn't really been talked about. But just because it's not shown on screen doesn't mean it's, you know, it's not true. You know what I mean? Yeah. So 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 do you think you kind of settled on that or do you still think it's bullshit? <laughs> no, I I can I, I can appreciate it because solely on the virtue that I enjoy seeing Kagura have normal human friends her age. 
because that's not something you see a whole lot of. So it it made me happy to uh, see her come back and to know that she's going to be appearing more in the future. Yeah, because like you know, other than Soyo, Kagura just kind of hangs. She, I remember there was literally an episode where Kagura like hangs around with just a bunch of homeless people. <laughs> I think for that episode in particular, that might have been an anime only scene, but still, like she either hangs out with like just a bunch of homeless people. Or, like, just a bunch of, like, really bratty kids who just do whatever. So it's it's nice to see Kagra actually have a friend that she can just hang out with. Because she, she, she kind of needs someone her age instead of hanging out with, like, you know, you know everybody's uh, favorite Japanese Dennis the Menace, Yo-chan. Um, <laughs> fuck that kid. Um, <laughs> um, I guess, how did you feel about um, Sasaki and Nobume's role in this arc in particular? Well, I really liked what Nobume uh, did in this arc. I, re- I really liked that she got fleshed out more. I still don't think I know enough about her as a character to like her yet, but she definitely did a lot more than she did in Thorny and was shown to be a much more complex character. Whereas in Isaburo's case, I still don't know whether to fucking love him or hate him because first <laughs> he basically let leaves his brother to die in Thorny. But then in Cur- Curtis Innovation, he freaking saves Gintoki from uh, death and fights with him in the battle against Sadasada's men. But then he's still also uh, allied with Takasugi, so wh- I don't know what to make of him. Yeah, and like, you know, it's also important that like, at, like at the very end of the arc with all the exposition where um, that, uh, what the fuck's his name? Um, Nezu or something from uh, from the Itotsubashi faction of the Shogun family that, uh, you know, he, like, he's praising him for, like, you know, taking care of Sada Sada or whatever. Like, oh, you're gonna have a, a, a great big uh, position once once the, once our uh, once our heir takes over as Shogun or whatever. So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of seedy political shit going on at the, at the start of this arc that is that is that is going to end up having a big impact on on the on the series later on and will eventually come to fruition but for now there's a lot of seeds being planted here um and i feel like it's not really a spoiler to say that like obviously you, i think it's pretty well telegraphed re- after rewatching this arc that sasaki does have a plan now what that plan is we don't know yet and we're not going to know for another couple of arcs but um it's it's definitely an interesting one. I'll just say that. Um, and it was one of those things where at the time, because uh, actually another another little tidbit, uh, it was around this arc when this arc was being animated that I that I made my first podcast appearance on uh, Justin Gintama podcast uh, that my friend Doctor hosts uh, the the podcast that basically existed before Life Lessons, and uh, that was my first time getting to talk about Gintama on a podcast, and I think it was episodes two. 57 and 258 basically the start of like when they actually raid the shogun's palace or whatever um because that episode in particular is one of my favorite episodes of the show of all time period i feel like that episode in particular has a like showcases gintama so well in a lot of different aspects um it showcases the comedy well i think it showcases the characters and how they work well with each other um it showcases a lot of really neat action and uh, showcases a lot of drama, too, and a lot of political intrigue, too. Like, that episode in particular has so much going for it. And um, that was an episode for the longest time that I used to just watch on its own because I just love it so much. 
And uh, yeah, that was an episode I got to talk about on that podcast for the first time. And that was where I got my start in podcasting. So this arc also means a lot to me in a few sentimental ways in terms of that. Um, uh, at, at, like, I guess my point is, is that at the time when I was discussing this arc as it was airing, you know, it was really interesting to me that uh, Sasaki would go out of his way to save Gintoki when, uh, you know, he's allied with Takasugi, who we know at this point, Ginnon, Takasuki are not exactly the best of friends. Uh, they don't really like each other too much, or at least Takasugi doesn't like Gin or whatever at this point. Um, so, yeah, I found I found it interesting how all that works, because it's like, you don't really know at this point what Sasaki is after, because he does kind of make a point that, like, you know, his goals, what he's trying to achieve is simply more than just, oh, I just want to get rid of the Shinsugumi, or, oh, I just want to become police general or whatever. So that intrigue in Sasaki's character was definitely, I would say at an all time high for me personally, when this arc was first airing, cause it's like, you know, you really don't know what he's up to. And um, I'm sure John, you just, you, you don't really know what to make of all of these, uh, I guess, connections, you know, how everybody's allied and whatnot, and what exactly they're all uh, striving for. It's definitely pretty confusing, but I can tell that Isaburo and Takasugi really aren't they're they're allied, but I can tell they don't know that much about each other like uh it's it's hard to put into words like they they they're just allied because they're beneficial to each other, but they're not really involved in each other's personal business that much, and I feel like that's why Isaburo helped Gintoki. I think at this point you could tell that I think um that Takasugi and, and Isaburo both have the same goals in mind. Like they, they both, I think they both want to, um, they both in a sense want to take down the government. I think that's the goal that they share, uh, which is all I'll say about that. And, you know, when it comes to stuff like um, Takasugi killing Sada Sada at the end, I'm sure you weren't expecting Takasugi to show up. No, I, that, that made me angry too, but that's how I feel every time he shows up. <laughs> Wait, why do you feel angry? Like, oh, it just kind of came out of nowhere, or? Yeah, well, you know, I hate him, well, because I'm supposed to hate him. Do you? Well, I mean, I hate him the way you're supposed to hate a villain. Oh, okay, okay. That makes sense. I guess angry isn't really the word, but just like... Annoyed? I, yeah, I, I'm shocked. Somewhere between shocked and angry, but not quite just either. <laughs> uh, okay, that that makes sense. And I felt a whole lot of that in the episode where he teams up with Kamui. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, how, how did you feel once, um, I guess, once the action started, like once everybody started to raid the Shogun's palace? Oh, that was the hypest part of the arc. That was my favorite part, because uh, we have Gintoki and his crew going in, and I'm like, is this like a point of no return for the series? Are they just going to become outlaws permanently? That's what was going exactly. through my head for most of the arc. And then we have the Shinsengumi come in, and honestly, I almost started crying when the Shinsengumi came in. Uh, <laughs> just, just uh, And not the part where, they're, where they let them go free, but the part where they actually come in and start fighting, because I thought they were doing that just for Gintoki's sake. And then the Mimiwari Gumi come in, and Isaburo helps Gintoki, and it's at this point that I think, oh, everyone's doing this for Gintoki's sake, they're such nice people, when that's, like, not at all what happened. Well, it's 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 not so much the case as, like, um, I guess Shige Shige is, in a way, doing it for Gintoki. Like, I think, 
I think at this point, because, you know, Shige goes on at the end about how, like, you know, uh, about about samurai and whatnot and basically acknowledging uh gin and his crew and whatnot sort of indirectly so i i think at this point he he appreciates he appreciates gin in a way so you're you're kind of right and that that was the best part for me because the shogun i was not expecting that at all because he's been nothing but a joke character even within the context of this own arc at that point he was used as a joke because they freaking weaken at bernie's him uh, <laughs> But then he comes out and he's like, these are, these are good people. They live according to their own rules. They were, they were fighting for what they thought to be right. So I'm letting them go. And now I resign so they don't get punished. And I like the Shogun a lot more now. And that makes me feel bad because I know that he's probably going to get killed later on. Um, no, yeah, Shige Shige is a great character. Yeah, he he really makes a turnaround from joke character to actual character with uh, uh with with depth and everything. Um, but I guess um, oh oh, here's a character we haven't talked about yet. Um, what did you think of Obero? Yes, Obero. I knew he wasn't going to die from the moment he first appeared. I knew he wasn't dying in this arc because you don't <laughs> give a character such a cool design and kill them in the same arc they were introduced in. That's not how it works. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually wondering how you were going to feel about that fake out. Like, oh no, actually, Obro isn't dead. I, I, I saw that coming a mile away, honestly, even though he got Dio'd there. Oh, yeah, like, I, I really like a lot of him, his and Gin's fights in this arc because they look so cool. Mm-hmm. And they're actually, like, really well animated, too. Oh, all the all the fights, I feel like starting with Red Spider, the fights were all animated really, really well. Oh, yeah, I mean... Generally, I think they're animated well, but, like, you, you have to keep in mind, like, Cortis of a Nation is airing in a very, like, uh, non-typical season of Gintama, where, like, you know, even with um, even with the reruns that were airing with these new episodes at the time, only make up, like, 25 episodes or so, uh, which is basically two cores. And even when you take out the reruns, you get about 13 new episodes of actual content, so... So you could tell that like a lot of the a lot of the animation within like Kintama, this arc, and then the Beam Saber arc afterwards, um, you know, even like the slight like character animations are improved like really greatly. Like there's like it's not just a bunch of talking heads, like there's actually some movement here um uh, every once in a while, which I really appreciate. And I think that's because obviously the anime stuff probably wasn't bogged down by like fifty episodes of a season that that, that they had to animate that they didn't have to actually produce too many episodes, so I feel like uh, the anime staff probably wasn't as, like, fatigued or exhausted as, uh, unfortunately, most anime productions are nowadays, uh, which is why I think, uh, in particular, a lot of this, uh, a lot of the animation in Cornice of the Nation, especially with the fights, is is almost, like, movie-like. Um, you could tell they really put a lot of work into this arc, I think, because uh, it looks, like, it looks super good all the way through. Um, I guess maybe except for the first episode, which looks a little off, but like it could look a lot worse. <laughs> True, but uh, I, I what did, what did you think about a lot of the um, I guess uh, get, like a little bits of like Kentucky's past we got in this arc. Oh man, it was it was it was heartbreaking, honestly. Uh, but I saw it coming because Nada gave me that history lesson uh a while back. 
Because this is stuff that basically any Japanese viewer is already going to know, right? That would be like us talking about the Revolutionary War in a cartoon. Yeah, exactly. Um, actually, interesting thing about the Kansei Purge is that uh, the Kansei Purge was actually mentioned in um, in episode 17 uh, when Takasuki first debuted. Oh, the Gengai arc. Yeah, because um, this, w- this was basically where Gengai's son died. Like, oh. Gengai's, Gengai's son was a part of that purge. So there's your little connection there. Um, see, see, Sirachi's bringing back shit that he already talked about, like, hundreds and hundreds of episodes uh, a, a long time ago. <laughs> so it's just stuff I really appreciate about his writing. Um, oh, boy. Yeah, so I remember really liking a lot of some of this reveal. And just, like, you could tell just how, like, broken up Gin, Gin is when he start when he comes face to face with Obero. And then, like... You know, that little bit there where, like, Esquio is, like, hearing all this for the first time, it, like, kind of clicks with her why Gin went to so much trouble as he did back in Red Spider, because now now Squeo is aware of that connection that the both of them have, where both of their teachers were uh, killed off, essentially. So there's that connection, which I really appreciate how it all clicks with Soyo, like, er, Soyo, uh, <laughs> Squeo. Like, that, that, that means a lot in retrospect now. Because now Squeal's actually aware of that. Um, and uh, yeah, just going back to the scene where uh, the Shinsengumi and the Mimawarigumi uh, show up, that's one of my favorite cliffhangers in Gintama. Because, like, like, because Gin is, like, fucking paralyzed and bleeding from, like, every orifice in his body. And he's doing, so, he's, he's just, he's doing so much he can to just, like, get up and try to help his friends. And, like it, it, like it really looks like dire straits for a couple of minutes there, and you know it obviously hurts him because it reminds him of the time that like he couldn't take back, um, he couldn't take back Shoyo, and that really hurts him. And you really think things are just going to go to shit, and then yeah, that's when the Shinsengumi and Mimawari Gumi show up, and that is such a great cliffhanger that I remember that like that had me in tears when I first watched that because it's like oh god everything's going to be all right. Yeah, I didn't I don't think I cried directly at his backstory in this arc. It was still completely heartbreaking. Like the first time I saw the opening that was used for Curtison in that entire half of Inchosen, I actually teared up the first time I saw the scene in the opening where uh Gintoki's running and then he turns into a kid and he sees Shoyo and he's like reaching his arm out and he has the worst look of fear in his face ever. Yeah, that that is really heartbreaking. That 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 makes that makes me really sad every time I see that. Um, it's, it's like I was telling you on Twitter too. Like like bits like that, and then like you know when Gintoki and Obero are fighting mid air, which is fucking cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you know again remembers when Shoya was taken away and how he remembers the promise that he made, and he yells out his sensei's name, and that fucking makes me tear up every time. Just that that just that hurts me every time I watch that scene. And uh you know, that bit at the end where Gin says that promises shouldn't be made lightly. Um which uh I won't say how, but I think just has so much more impact. Uh because I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that like, you know, there's still more Gin's past that we're not aware of as viewers at this point that we still need to that we still need to have context for, which we will get more of later. Um, which I think just makes this entire thing even sadder. So actually, this this comes to because uh, I was telling you on Twitter because uh, 
I've had this conversation with people before about like how do you translate Shiroyasha? And, you know, we've gotten translations such as like White Knight, White Demon, uh Crunchyroll literally going with like White Yaksha, which um I I think is I guess technically correct. I don't know. It's just I, I understand why they went with that, but like it's just such a weird like mix of like English and Japanese that it kind of throws me off every time I see it. And especially every time I hear it like spoken in uh, in the dub that Crunchyroll recently just put out for Gintama because they they do use that in the in the dub script and it feels kind of weird hearing that in English but that's just me um again it it makes sense and I get why it works so 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 John I want to make an argument about why I think while White Knight is technically not a correct translation at all why I think it works all right and I feel like may, maybe you I don't maybe you might have figured it out already I have no idea but stop me if you if you think you know where I'm going with this. So as far as Gin's character's uh, character goes, you know, it's been established from pretty much the very beginning that like that Gin obviously doesn't really hold too much water for things such as like patriotism or whatnot, that he's very much interested in protecting what he wants to protect personally, uh, that he doesn't give too much of a shit about these really lofty ideals that other like Joey Patriots fight for in the Joey War. And I think with the reveal that, like, you know, Gin and his friends basically went to war, especially Gin himself went to war because he wanted to bring back Shoyo. So I feel like in this case, I feel like I would go with White Knight because, you know, he's he's going into war to rescue somebody he obviously cares about. And that's his entire reason for going to war in the first place. So uh, does, does, does that reasoning make sense to you or do you think you disagree? It makes sense to me, but I still feel like it works in the context of this arc, but overall, I think if you look at his entire character, White Demon or White Yaksha works a lot better. Fair enough. Uh, again, I, I, I realize that, again, White Knight is not a correct translation at all, but, and I guess really only, I guess really only in the context of this arc does it work, but I don't know. Uh, that's just personally what I believe, um, which I guess probably sounds uh, silly to some people because it's like, oh, well, there's a correct translation. You should use it. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. But it's like, I don't know. I just stick with calling him Shiroyasha because like I don't because I don't agree with any of the translations on like some on some level. So I'm just like, I might as well just call him. I might as well just call him by his original title because I don't agree with any of the ways he's they're actually translated. So I'm just going to stick with the original. <laughs> Well, yeah, White Devil does lose a layer of the complexity if you look at what the Yaksha actually is. Exactly. And like I said, I know White Yaksha, technically, that works. And I think works within the context of who Gin is, to an extent, I think. But it just, I just, that, that mix of English and Japanese just sounds really weird to me. It just doesn't sound natural. <laughs> um, but that's just me. It's my silly reasoning. Um I guess um there's I know there's other stuff I want to talk about. I'm, I just can't think of it at the top of my head. Um I guess here's 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 something I want to ask you. So um what did you think of how cuz like you were saying earlier, um Shige Shige hands in his resignation to the Tendoshu but then is basically declined. So in a sense we kind of go back to the status quo of the series or whatnot. Um does that bother you at all? Do you think the fact that like because cause it's like you said, too, that, like, 
Gin and his friends charging the Shogun's castle or whatnot, this is something that should make them outlaws. But because of like how everything works out, it, everything just kind of goes back to normal uh, one way or another. So I guess, um, does that bother you personally at all? Like, do you think there should have been some more lasting impact after this arc or? Well, I already know that a lot of the political events that happen in this arc will have a huge impact on the rest of the story after this point. And honestly, I, they gave a, they had very good reasoning for the odd jobs gang and their other allies not becoming outlaws because they had such good reasoning for it. I really don't mind that they did that. And honestly, I, I prefer them the way they are than them being outlaws. Okay. I guess that's a good point because like, I forget that at the time that Cortis of the Nation was running in the anime or was in, was running in the manga or what, or what have you, that a lot of people at the time were kind of confused as to like why everything just kind of went back to normal. So I guess, I guess at the time it didn't make a lot of sense, but like knowing where the story heads after this, I think this is a, that's a little more forgivable. Like it, it like it makes sense in retrospect. So I guess that question is kind of useless, but, um, oh yeah. Um, we also find out that Nobume was a part of the Naraku at one point. So that's interesting. Oh yeah, that that there was that at the very end where uh she's talking to Obro. Yeah, yeah. So so and it's funny because I noticed in the Thorny arc about um how when um Kondo and Okita are watching Nobume kill all those Joey Patriots, how uh Kondo even makes the um makes the observation that, oh, was she trained as an assassin? Like what's going on? And uh I guess Kondo was right on the money. She was an assassin at one point. So there you go. Sirachi's really good at like making uh dialogue or certain scenes that make a lot more sense when you look back at them after going further on in the series and I wonder if all of them are done on purpose. It's really hard to tell with him because <laughs> it's like some sometimes he just kind of puts things in the, I a lot of my friends and I like to call Ma uh, Sirachi a master bullshitter. <laughs> because because it's like you really can't tell whether he does a lot of a lot of this stuff on purpose or not. It's it's really hard to tell with him. Uh, like you can't tell whether he's a genius or whether it just a lot of these things just happen to work out. But uh, but I feel like I feel like with that case in particular, uh, Sirachi was probably he probably put that line of dialogue there on purpose because it's it's not too long. I guess in, in terms of the story, it's not too long after Thorny that we get Courtesan of a Nation, so. It's probably it. It happens uh, soon enough in between each other that, like, I'm sure he probably put it in there on purpose. But uh, it's it's not something he waited hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of chapters to finally reveal. Oh yeah, that was right. <laughs> oh man, like there there are just like so many things in this arc that I feel like really do a good job of foreshadowing later events. Like uh, again, I won't be too specific, but uh, you know that that bit where um, Nobume is talking about how. Um, how Gin and Takasugi both have sorrow in their eyes or whatnot, I feel like uh, really does a good job of kind of foreshadowing uh, their past. Because eventually we'll, we'll get to see more of Gin and Takasugi's relationship. And it's, it's really interesting, like what comes out of that. And that's all I'll say about that. So that's kind of a big highlight for the series for me, because once you, it's one of those things where once you learn more about them, you you kind of have more context for a lot of like 
a lot of Takasugi's dialogue and kind of how he acts and whatnot. And like Takasugi overall is a, one of those people where it's like, you know, he doesn't do much uh, throughout the majority of the story. And it's not until like almost like a couple arcs near the end where it's like, oh, okay, he makes sense now. Which is good because a lot of my friends used to always be like, "But Takasuki's not really that cool. He just comes around. He just he just comes by, says a thing, and leaves. He's like tuxedo mask." <laughs> <laughs> my job uh, here is done. Yes, my job here is done. You didn't do anything. <laughs> oh boy, I always just saw him making his appearances brief. Uh, I always saw that as just him being a master at working behind the shadows, controlling people like puppets. He's like the mastermind. Like, if you look in Shinsengumi Crisis, that entire arc happens because of him, but he doesn't even get, like, two minutes of screen time. Essentially, yeah. Um, I guess the last thing I want to talk about, because uh, there was a lot we wanted to talk about with this arc, obviously. Um, what did you think of just the love story in particular of Suzeron and Maizo, like, wh- do you think you were satisfied with that? Well, the love story was, in my opinion, was the means to the end of the entire conflict we have in the story. That's what was, what was done to connect the Yorozuya to the whole political conspiracy and have them come in and kind of put a stop to it or maybe just halt it for a little bit. But That's fair. The conclusion to the love story, the very last scene in the arc, that that made me cry so hard. I know, yeah. I so so. Here's the weird thing, and I I'm 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 hesitant in saying this because I'm afraid it's gonna ruin that part of the arc for some for a lot of people because like that is a really emotionally satisfying end to the arc. Like I really don't. I think in terms of just uh, the conclusion of like. A story arc in Gintama, I feel like the conclusion to Quarters of the Nation is probably the most beautiful in the entire series. And I don't and I don't have any I'm not hesitant in saying that at all, honestly, because I really I really am struggling to think of an ending to an arc that I like just as much as this one. And I feel like that can't be stated enough. But you want to know what really gets me is that I know that, like, it's probably just a dream sequence, and, like, I'm kind of glad that, like, I'm kind of glad that Sirachi depicted Suzeron and Maizo as, as their younger selves, because Maizo's younger self still has both of his arms. So, like, when you really think about it... Oh my if we- god. <laughs> like, could you imagine trying to actually, like, actually watching how... Like, um, the both of them trying to have that scene together would actually work in, like, reality. Like, how do, like, how, how, how do you even do that? Like, Maizo doesn't have either of his arms now. You so, ruined like, it for me. I know! It's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, how does that work? <laughs> oh, it just... It kind of ruins it up for me a little bit because it's like I don't know because I just can't help but think just just of a of a like an old withered armless Mizo just trying to embrace Suzeron. What he can't? What does he? Does he just like? Does he use his legs at that point? Does he just like nuzzle up against her or something? I don't know. <sighs> it it doesn't it doesn't necessarily ruin that entire scene because I still think it has a lot of emotional impact that it's still really beautiful but it's just that it's that thing where it's like i'm glad 
I'm glad the show depicted it this way because I wouldn't be able to take it seriously at all if we actually still had to watch them go through this, you know, with their current selves. I'm sorry, John. I know I probably just ruined that part of the arc for you forever now, but I just. It's just, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, once you notice it, it's so hard to get out of your mind. Oh my god. <laughs> oh. Still, still, still a beautiful bookend to the arc, nonetheless, though. Yes. Yes. Which, which I think just, is just a testament to Sirachi's writing in, in general, honestly. Um, but yeah, overall, this arc is really fucking good, and I'm glad that, um, I didn't overhype it for you too much, cause, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I have to express some kind of excitement, because this is one of my favorite arcs in the entire show, and for good reason. Like, at the time, like, this was the biggest thing that happened in all of Gintama. And then basically, you know, Shogun Assassination comes along and kind of tops that in all respects. Not that I'm trying to hype up the arc too much, because um, <laughs> I totally understand that feeling of, like, you know, you hear people talk about this uh, a thing for, like, a long time, and you hear them say so many good things about it, and then you actually get to experience it, and it's like, huh, this doesn't really live up to my expectations at all, and I hate that feeling so much. I don't feel it too often, but when it does hit, it it's not very satisfying. I'm worried that the reason Shinsugumi Crisis is my favorite arc is because it was the arc where I went in with no one telling me anything about it. I wasn't given any warning about it. Just I'm like, oh, here's a serious arc. So uh, all I had known was a couple weeks before I started the arc, uh, Nada told me, oh, that's the infinite vehicle destruction arc. Yeah, yeah, I remember you telling me about that. Um, yeah, but um, I can I can understand that because like. I don't know. I I get the feeling that like maybe you and I, I, I maybe I could be wrong. I don't know. This is just me making a baseless uh, assumption. But like, I wonder like how you and I are tolerant, like how tolerant of hype that like uh, between the two of us, you and I are. You know what I mean? Like, because it it take it takes a lot for me to just be like, oh well, I'm not going to get into this thing now because oh people keep fucking talking about it too much or whatever. Uh. Like, when I was in middle school, all any of my classmates could talk about were Avatar The Last Airbender and the Harry Potter books, because those were th those were very uh, relevant uh, when I was in middle school. In Don't my, get me in, started in my on that, Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, eventually I, I read all of Harry Potter, and it's like, you know, I like it, I can see why people like it, and, you know, I enjoy it enough, but it's like, it's not something that, like, really gives me enough to want to, like, go back and revisit it, you know what I mean? Exactly. Although in my case, I just watched all the movies. Oh, well, I mean, obviously the books are a lot better because they have to take out a lot of shit in the movies, unfortunately. But, um, huh. but I mean, that's just with any, like, adaptation from book to movie. Uh, that just happens a lot. Um, uh, I mean, Avatar's a little different because I'm, I'm glad I finally got to watch Avatar The Last Airbender because it is actually really good. And I'm like, I've been wanting to rewatch it for a while and I just haven't gotten the chance to. But I guess, I think that's a, really about all we have to say about Cornicet of a Nation. Um, it's a good arc. What else can we say? <laughs> it's a great arc. Uh, honestly, I think the only shortcoming, like, if you look at the arc in the context of its own arc, the exposition dump is really the only thing that puts a bit of a damper on my experience. I can't imagine how hard it was for you to keep up with that exposition the first time watching it, honestly. I still don't think... It all makes sense to me yet, but it'll make sense once it comes into context later. 
Yeah, it is one of those things where, like, even even now, having context to what all this leads up to, I'm still... I'm still like a just like a tiny bit confused about how everything works because there's so much going on. <laughs> <laughs> and like that's another one of those things where like Nada used to Nada points this out a lot cuz as much of a good writer as I think Sorachi is, his exposition dumps are so hard to follow. <laughs> cuz like he just he gives you so much information at one time that it's all kind of hard to process at once. Uh and I think the last episode of Cortis and Divination is just an example of that. You know, it's, it's, I think it's all interesting enough, at least, but, you know, for first-time viewers, I could definitely say, yeah, it's just, it's so much. Um, but I think hopefully it'll all make sense further on down the line, because obviously, you know, this is the first time, like, people like the Totsubashi are mentioned and introduced, and, uh, uh, but, you know, they'll, they'll become a little more pronounced later on, and it'll be a little easier to kind of follow their actions, I think, personally. But yeah, I, I don't know. I was was there anything else you wanted to mention before we head out or you think that's about it? I think we got it all covered. It it was just a really interesting. It's a pretty high octane arc. <laughs> but uh um, Yeah, it's it's very dense. Yes, uh the action in the middle was the part I enjoyed the most cuz it seems like it started out with a bunch of exposition and ended with a bunch of exposition, but the action in the middle was what I loved the most. That's fair. I can I can agree with that. Um, but yeah, th- thanks for thanks for recording this with me, John. I really appreciate it, and ho- hopefully uh, we can find the time to maybe talk about uh, the the movie coming up that you're going to be watching today. Actually, uh, be forever Yorozuya. Yep. Because uh, I I've, I've been meaning to rewatch that movie again, and I I I was just thinking, yeah, I, maybe I kind of want to talk about that too. Because again, I, I I don't want to try to hype up anything too much, but personally, in my opinion. Just as somebody who consumes a lot of like Shonen Jump properties and keeps up with a lot of Jump manga and ends up watching, you know, a lot of these franchise tie-in movies, like I watch a lot of One Piece movies or Hunter Hunter movies or whatnot. Um, in terms of just like Shonen Jump franchise tie-in movies, this one's probably the best one I've ever seen. Well, dang, because uh, like a, a lot of these Shonen Jump movies tend to like. Because, you know, they, they can't really do too much to, like, you know, change the already pre-established story or whatnot. Because you got you to keep everything, cons- uh, you know, consistent with – somewhat consistent with, like, the canon and whatnot. So things are a little limiting in terms of that. So you got to come up with, like, these original stories that either might not tie into too much or are just kind of standalone and aren't really interesting on their own. But, like, Gintama's story and world is so loose that, like, you can – kind of almost do anything so like just at being in time alone you have a lot of freedom to do a lot especially with the nature of the show itself so um i personally i i think you'll really like the movie but um again yeah just in terms of shonen jump movies this one's the best one i've ever seen definitely it was also like the finale in quotes for the anime so i uh, yeah, like this was promoted as like the final chapter of the Gintama anime when this was being uh, when this was being advertised. And for a while, because like after the after this movie, the Gintama anime wouldn't come back for another two years. So um, there was a time where I thought, oh, man, like this, this could actually be the end of the Gintama anime. <laughs> it was like the one time I thought for real the anime could have actually ended here. And I actually would have been OK with it. 
There are sometimes when I wish I could have gotten into Gintama like a lot earlier on in its run, but then there are times like this where I'm glad that I'm like at the end of the run and I know that the anime is pretty much 100% guaranteed to finish the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I hopefully we can make the time to talk about that movie sometime in the next week, because uh, if you could, I'd, I'd love to talk about it. Oh, I'd love to. Uh, but we can figure that out during the week or whatever. But uh, for now, that was Core Dissemination. Uh, thank you to everybody who listened. I, I apologize if this one was a little longer than the last two, but there was a lot we had to talk about here and a lot I wanted to talk to John about. This, this arc is dense. I don't know what to tell you. Um, so, John, where can the good people find you? As always, at LeitungVG, L-E-I-T-U-N-G-V-G. All right, there you go. Definitely, definitely follow John. I... I feel like I, I really enjoy uh, seeing what John has to tweet about Gintama, and I always enjoy talking with him about his thoughts and just anime in particular, especially especially anime I really like. Um, but uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. That's S-N-I-P-E-R-K-I-N-G-323. As for uh, the Normal Life Lessons podcast, uh, you know you can find our uh, normal episodes of the podcast along with these episodes of Jumping Ahead on uh gintalifelessons.wordpress.com and you should also follow us on facebook.com twitter.com and youtube.com even at gintamangacast that's g-i-n-t-a-m-a-n g-a-c-a-s-t gintamangacast and uh, just be sure to subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes uh, I don't know what, what do you think about some of these arcs or whatnot? if you have any thoughts you can send us an email over at gintalifelessons at gmail.com and uh that's about it, and uh, hopefully we will make the time to talk about Be Forever Yorazuya, the final chapter, quote-unquote, of uh, Gintama, on the next episode of Jumpin' Ahead. Jumpin' Ahead.